0: Thank you, AJ, for that uh, gracious introduction. Uh, So let me just uh, introduce myself. Uh, My name is Blatio. Um, I am Zimbabwean. Thank you, thank you. Uh, Born and raised. um, I've been living here for a couple of years. I'm an auditor by profession, like he said. And today I am the first of two preachers that are going to be speaking to you out of the book of James. We're going through a James series. And uh, this is the third part of the James series. Uh, the first part was where AJ and Avon, uh, they walked with us through the uh, life is tough, but we should count it all joy. Uh, then the second week, Stephen and Chris, uh, which was last week, they spoke about knowing the Word and doing the Word, right? Today, uh, Paul and I are going to be speaking about um, partiality out of the book of James chapter 2, right? Um, so I'm not going to speak directly from the book of James. I'm going to uh, sort of lay a foundation for Paul to come and uh, actually dig into the book of James. And he's going to go into specifications, what it is. I'm just going to kind of uh, lay a premise. So like I said, I'm from Zim. Um, I was born and raised. I came this side in 2008. And when I came this side, I uh, experienced something Sorry, I'm just trying to get used to the sound of my voice out of the speakers. It's very good. <laughs> um, I, I experienced something which I hadn't experienced before. Um, I went to Monash University, um, which is in the West Rand. And um, when I got there, I experienced... Um, if you are with us a couple of weeks ago um, at a prayer meeting, Brenda Nyakujua kind of alluded to the same thing. She was like, when, when I got here, it finally hit me. Oh, wait, I'm actually black like i'd always known i'm black, I'd always known that, but <laughs> it's 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 this side there's uh there's a kind of a segregation a, a, a differentiation that you get hit with, which i wasn't used to i I'd, I'd never experienced that where I was from right and here, it's like uh, I, I came from being blatio just blatio to being blatio the black Zimbabwean <laughs> right and um it, in in going through this this uh this piece of James, it allowed me to actually dig into why are people partial, right? What's the thing which causes us to to turn me from being just me to being a specific kind of me, right? Why are people partial? And this is the question um, I want to pose to us today. Why are we partial, right? The question is not if we're partial, because we're all partial, right? It's just... Why are you partial to the things you're partial to? What causes you to gravitate to the things, to the kind of people that you gravitate towards? So I'm just going to read uh, from James chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Please turn with me there to James chapter 2. It's up on the screen. Right, so James says, uh, verse 8, If you really fulfill the royal law according to Scripture you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. So James jumps in and he answers the question right away, right? He, he kind of draws a parallel. He says, right, if you're on this side, the good side, you are loving your neighbor as you love yourself, right? But if you're on this side, which he then calls, you are committing sin, you are being partial. So what he's saying in essence is drawing opposites, right? He says this side is the love your neighbor as you love yourself, and on this side is partiality. So we can then say, ergo, that if you're not loving your neighbor as you love yourself, you're being partial. And if you are being partial, even if you're not being partial, I mean to say, you are loving your neighbor as you love yourself. So why are people partial? James answers and he says, it's because we lack love right? It's because we lack love. Now, what's interesting about that little piece, you shall love your neighbors, you love yourself, is that James cites it from the book of Leviticus. Now, Leviticus is the third book of the Bible. Um, it's part of the first five books, which are called the Pentateuch. Now, what's going on in the Pentateuch is Genesis, God creates everything. He puts everything into motion, and then uh, the, how people move around, and eventually they end up in Egypt, the story of Joseph, you can read up about that. And then, uh, then uh, Moses comes in, and he wants, he's getting them out of Egypt, right? And that goes into the book of Exodus, right? Exodus, the exiting out of Egypt, right? And then as time goes on in in Exodus, God is imparting his law to his people. This is, you shall do this, you shall not do that. And Leviticus is like a continuation of God imparting his law to his people, right? And he's going on, you shall do this, you shall wear that, you shall eat that, and so on and so on. And he says, you shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. I am the Lord, right? Now, what's interesting about that, let's not miss what's going on here. God is saying, you shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. He is commanding them, love your neighbor as you love yourself. So, God is commanding us to feel something for each other, right? He's saying, because look, yes and amen, love is a doing word, right? But we cannot negate the fact that love is also a feeling word. Right, so um, I'm dating the lovely lady over there. Uh, you can see her; she's got the biggest smile on right now. Um, her name is Denise. Some of you know her as Cheapo, um, and I do stuff for her. Right, I carry stuff for her. I open the door for her. Can we ask her? She can ask her. Yeah, she she. You can ask her. Um, uh, I, I go shopping with her. And boy, does she love shopping. Um, and I'm the perfect man, right? Um, and look, as much as I do stuff for her, imagine if that's all it was. I just did things for her, right? Can, there was no emotion. There's no feeling. Can I honestly say I love her? Of course not, right? Because as much as love is a doing word, you have to feel something, which then begs a bigger question. How do you make people feel something? How can God command that? How can He say, feel something for your neighbor? Okay, the book of First John helps us out with this. Um, from chapter 4, please turn with me over there. It will be up on the screen. Chapter, verse 7 and 8. And John says, beloved, Let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Verse 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. So John is saying here, beloved, let us love one another. Why? Because, Because love is from God. And whoever loves has been firstly born of God, And secondly, knows God. So John is saying the byproduct of love is, firstly, being born of God. And secondly, knowing who God is. So the question too, why do we lack love, is one, either we haven't been born of God yet. Right? We haven't been born again. We haven't crossed that line of faith. Or we have been born of God, but we just don't know him. We haven't gotten, we haven't actually dug deep into who God is and what He is and how He loves. We have, we have God, but we haven't gotten to know who He really is. So um, I got saved when I was 10 years old. Um, I was in grade four uh, um, in Zim, in a little small town called Gueru, right in the middle of Zim. And um, I remember the day very clearly. Uh, my teacher, Ms. Swenal, was speaking to us, and she was like, devotion in the morning, telling us about Jesus. And um, she said, does anyone want Jesus? And I was like, okay, I don't have that Jesus thing. Can I have some? So she took us outside, sat down uh, by a tree, and um, she prayed for us. I got saved that day. So on that day, I got saved. So according to John, on that day, I got born of God, right? It was an instant event it happens once right no one can be born more than once right and then from then until now i was in the process of and i still am in the process of knowing who this god is right and as i walk as i walked through knowing who this god is i have picked up some things about god which are at first glance don't look loving but are perhaps the most loving things I found out about God. And I'd like to share those with you. So James draws contrast in the whole book, so I'm going to try and do the same thing. Um, Draw some contrast and help us to get some of this. So I'm going to start here. Number one, God does not need us. Okay, Uh, I thought you were going to talk about love. What's this God doesn't need us thing? Just hear me out. This is really love. right? In Acts 17, it it says... um, It says, God is not served by human hands as though he needed anything. A.W. Tozer writes, and he says, 20th century Christianity has put God on charity. So lofty is our opinion of ourselves that we find it quite easy, not to say enjoyable, to believe that we are necessary to God. But the truth is that God is not greater for our being, nor would he be any less if we did not exist. That we do exist is altogether of God's free determination. God is not dependent on anything or anyone. He suffers no lack Knows no limitation, experiences no deficiencies. He is I am that I am with no qualifications or exceptions. God stands alone and requires no help from anyone. God has never counted the cost of accomplishing what he wants to do. God gets what he wants, when he wants, and however much of it he wants. He is completely complete and lacks nothing. This is our God. But now, how is is this loving? How is this loving? Yes, it's true. God doesn't need us, but God wants us. God desperately wants us. He delights in us. God doesn't love us like a man in a hospital in intensive care loves his life support system. Right? God loves us like the man who loves his old mangy dog that's dying and never listens and never learns to fetch. The man has, the man has no real need for the dog. So all his love for it is voluntary. It's emotive. Right? The book of Zephaniah speaks of how God will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with love. He will exalt or dance over you with loud singing. So God loves us so deeply. It invokes in him an emotion, a, da- a form of dancing, right? As he celebrates, as he's overwhelmed with love for us. not that God needs us, but God wants us. That's, that's and now you know, for me, this is perhaps the, the most difficult thing to get about God. That, uh, yes, I get that God loves me. You know, God died for me on the cross. You know, he paid for my sins. I get that. But the fact that God actually likes me, you know, that he, when, when I come to pray, when I read my Bible, he's, he, it invokes in him an emotion. He likes spending time with me, right? Because for, for, for most of us, we can choke it down to, no, God tolerates me. You know, he tolerates me. He doesn't actually like me. Do we love in this way? Do you love people who can who you can gain a benefit from? Is your love based on your needs? Do you have a genuine affection for those who could never, ever possibly pay you back? You see, our love for each other, like God's love for us, has to have no agenda attached to it, or you will be forced to be partial. You will only show love to so you only show love when it benefits you. So, yes, uh, God doesn't need us. God wants us. Number two, God owes us nothing, right? I.e., you cannot put God in your debt. Right? Romans 11 says, Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? We cannot put God in our debt, and we cannot make him do what we want him to do. You cannot tell God, I, will, I have done all these great things for you, so you have to do these things. Or you can't tell God, I will offer you this and that. I will offer you my life, my time, my money, my skills, if you do A, B, C, D things for me. Why can't we do that? Because all the things you're trying to offer, to offer God to bargain with him, are things that God already owes. So what's the contrast? Yes, it's true. God owes us nothing, but God gives us freely, In Romans 8, it speaks of how God gives us freely his unchangeable support, his unblemished son's life, his unquestionable justification, his personal intercession to the Father, his inseparable affection, and most importantly, he gives us himself. Do we love like this? Does your love have strings attached to it? Does it have conditions? Does your love have criterias or qualifications? Right? Growing up, I'm sure most of you had the, the list, right? Where you wrote down all the things that you wanted in your significant other, you know? Does your love have qualifications? If your love is only shown to those who you have a moral or constructive obligation to, you have no choice but to be partial. Because you will only show love to those around you in your inner circle. And lastly, and I think perhaps the most greatest contrast of all, is the blood stained cross of Christ. God's greatest display of love. I'm just going to read uh, 1 John chapter 4 to be up on the screen, um, verse 9 to 12. And this is love. Uh, Sorry. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only Son into the world that we might live through him. In this love, sorry, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also are to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. The reason we are partial is because we lack love. And the reason we lack love is because we lack Jesus. Either we do not know Him or we really do not have Him. The bottom line is Jesus. If you don't have Him and you do not really know Him, then all of this will be an impos- will be impossible to feel. Right? Just doing it out of a sense of obligation because you are a Christian will just lead to a religious dry, tiring, joyless pursuit of trying to look holy. Getting saved is the first step. Jesus has so much for you, more than all the things you've been chasing in your, in your life. If you see all of this and you're thinking how much you want it, how much you want this love, it's yours to have. And if you have him, then get to know him. It is only through knowing him that you get to truly understand, not just in your head, but in your heart, how you are loved and you are enjoyed by God. Maybe the reason we find it hard to love like this is because at some level, we don't believe that we are loved like this. You are deeply loved, friends, and greatly, greatly delighted. in. As the band comes up, I'd just like to pray. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you that it's real and it's deep. God, I pray that um, as we go into into time of praise and worship now, God, may you become more real to us. May your love become more tangible. I pray, God, that you may shine down on us, Father. Keep us aware of who you are. In your name I pray.